Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University. It's been a while since we've had a podcast. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. I've had a busy end of the summer with the mission trip to India. Uh, We just recently took our oldest son out to college. He started um, university at California Baptist University in Riverside. It's a a wonderful university. It's very beautiful, but it's a Christ-centered, Bible-based, godly university. It's, It's highly reputable with academics. He's going to be a film student. They have a great film school there, and so it was a wonderful trip. Uh, it was a long trip. We live on the eastern side of Colorado, the eastern plains, and so we drove all the way across Colorado uh, from one end of the state to the other end of the state, which is beautiful, going across I-70. Uh, you get to go through uh, Vail and Glenwood Springs, and then we stopped in Grand Junction and stayed the night there, and then the next day we had a 10-hour drive uh, through Utah, gorgeous through Utah, just the canyons, and then on the way back back we we were in um, some rain and there was a beautiful uh, rainbow that we saw and then we got to go uh, through Las Vegas which was a little uh, strange kind of got a creepy feeling as you're going through Las Vegas and then um, through Death Valley there uh, and, and then going down into San Bernardino and then eventually into Riverside, California. And so it was a, it was a wonderful time to spend with my family and uh, just we had a, had a great time uh, going out to California to take my son there and we're praying that he thrives and then he has a, a great experience out there. And so I'm back and there's a lot of things that have happened uh, in the midst of my travels and I know I'm late to the game on this. I know James White has addressed this. I know Chris Rosebro at Fighting for the Faith. I know J.D. Hall at the Polemics Report has also dealt with this. But I want to just jump in and give my two cents worth. And it's the issue of Andy Stanley and his statements, his recent statements at the ERLC conference hosted by Russell Moore. Uh, Also, he just preached a sermon basically doubling down on some of the statements that he made there. And before we actually listen to the clip, I just want to give you a little bit of background of my personal experience with Andy Stanley. Now, I've never gone to a Catalyst conference. I don't listen to his sermons. I'm not a regular listener. Uh, My first experience actually hearing Andy Stanley was probably about four or five years ago. I think I was at the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, if I remember correctly. And he was one of the speakers at the Pastors Conference. And I think he was on the docket that night along with John Piper, which was kind of interesting. But uh, this is the first time I'd ever heard Andy Stanley speak in public. And his message to pastors, was not an exposition of scripture. It was more giving examples on PowerPoint of companies that we as pastors need to emulate if we want to reach the market share of lost people out there. And he talked about Chick-fil-A's marketing strategy and Coca-Cola's marketing strategy and Apple's marketing strategy and how they have learned to understand the customer. And so we as as pastors need to understand our customer and and we need to sell Jesus as a product. And and I was very turned off by all of the marketing, seeker-sensitive, just approach to ministry. Uh, And then we um, had to watch one of his sermons in my doctoral seminary class. Uh, one of my last doctoral seminars was Methods and, and Models of Expository Preaching. And the nature of this class was we were to explore all the different methods and models of, of preaching that are that are out there. And so we looked at some weird models and we looked at narrative preaching and... and um, 
in, you know, inductive preaching. And, and Andy Stanley was one of the people we had to watch and we had to critique. Uh, he wrote a book on preaching, per se, called Communicating for a Change. That book does not argue for expository preaching. As a matter of fact, there's not really anything in that book that's going to, to argue for a robust theology of expository preaching. It's more that uh, pastors need to be relevant and communicate uh, to the market, uh, this whole idea of, of getting a market share through effective communication. So we had to watch one of his sermons, and our professor did not cherry-pick this sermon uh, to get like the worst example that he could get. Actually, he told us that he just went uh, a few minutes before class and pulled it off of the most recent uh, sermon that he had preached, I guess, the, the week before. And here's was, here was the, the message uh, that Andy Stanley preached. It was not really a message. It was basically... 30 to 40 minutes of psychobabble. It was conventional wisdom. He was giving stats from psychological journals. He was giving the latest gurus advice from people in the field of psychology. It was all about making a change and how you need to make a change. And it's, it's risky to make changes, but we need to, to make changes in our lives. There was no scripture. Not even pulling in some proverbs or some some scriptures from the wisdom literature just to give support to what he was saying to make it even at least sound like it was it was biblical. And then he made an interesting statement in his sermon. He said, "If you don't have a Bible here, that's okay. Um, we're not that. You know, it's not that big a deal that you don't have a Bible. Um, what we have to say is important, but you don't necessarily need to bring your Bible here." And that was a red flag for me when he said that from the pulpit. And so he spoke for about 40 minutes, and at the end, about the last five minutes, he, he used Romans 8.28 out of context and basically used it almost as a law passage as opposed to a gospel passage, basically saying, if you follow these steps that I just talked about, these conventional wisdoms, then God's going to work everything out. It's mainly up to you to follow this. And then uh, it was almost a synergistic way of looking at that Romans 8.28 passage that God promises to work all things out for good for those who are called, for those who, who love the Lord. And it was just a very bizarre sermon. And afterwards, obviously, all of us in that cohort, all of my seminary buddies were just, you know, tearing it apart and uh, hemming and hawing. And we went to lunch and talked about it. And, and we, I heard some of their stories of what they heard. Some of them had gone to the Catalyst Conference. And, and so there, there's just a lot of baggage related to Andy Stanley. And then I think it was a few months later, uh, he came out with the statement that those pastors who practice expository preaching are basically lazy and cheating, um, which I did not quite understand. And so again, he slammed expository preaching. Then a few months ago, uh, he made a statement that if you are a parent of a teenager and you are going to a small church, you're being selfish, that you need to take your children to a mega church where they can experience all of the bells and whistles that a mega church has to offer and that small churches uh, don't offer that. And then he had to retract that and, and to apologize. And so uh, compounding upon all of those experiences, here you have a few weeks ago, He's at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's conference on how to engage culture without compromising the gospel, hosted by Russell Moore, who is the president of ERLC. And again, I wondered why they invited Andy Stanley. And so there's a panel discussion between Russell Moore and Andy Stanley. And Russell Moore basically asks him, you know, if you were the evangelical pope where you could mandate down for what you would like to see evangelical churches do today, what would be your edict? Now, that's a weird question, but regardless of the question, let's listen to um, Andy Stanley's answer to that question. 
this. And, and, and part of me was kind of pridefully saying, I don't want responsibility for that. You know, uh, if, if, I were, if I were Pope, I, I would kind of hope things would be different. If you were mm-hmm. real, the like evangelical Pope, and you really had the authority to say, this is how it's going to be uh, within be so American evangelical fun. Christianity, yeah, uh, what would you do? Um, I would have all the churches that are dying, 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 dying sell their buildings and give the money to church planters. I just made that up sitting here. That was pretty good, though. What? I don't know. If, that wasn't on my list. I just know a lot of church planters here. I mean, the, the, misapp- the misappropriation and the, the misused and unused real estate in this country just drives us all crazy because some of you are in a, you're in a grocery store, you're in the back of a school and down the streets, you know, $4.5 million worth of property and eight people sitting in there anyway. That's not on my list. Okay, here's my short list. Going back to what we talked about earlier, I would ask preachers and pastors and student pastors in their communication to get the spotlight off the Bible and back on the resurrection. Um, let's get people's ba- attention back on Jesus as soon as possible, that the issue for us is always who is Jesus, that he rise from the dead, and that we would leverage the authority we have in the resurrection as opposed to scripture. Not because I don't believe scripture is inspired in terms of reaching this culture. We've already talked about that one. Um, I might republish all the Bibles and call the first half God's covenant with ancient Israel and the second half God's covenant with the world. Um, one of the, because the way we talk about the scripture is confusing for unchurched people and presenting the Bible kind of goes back to our first discussion. It's, I know you're thinking, I'm so glad he's not the Pope. Okay. <laughs> um, I would ban Christians from judging outsiders and require them to ask, what does love require of me? Because Paul said, Who, what, what business do I have to judge outsiders? I should judge those, judge those inside the church. So we don't do a good job policing ourselves, but we love policing all the agree. sinners out there. Like, we agree? I agree on that. Then I'd just like to stop right there. <laughs> I finally agree. Now, there is a lot that can be said about his statements. And at best, his statements are confusing. At worst, they are destructive and can do a lot of damage, especially to young pastors who he influences. Andy Stanley has a lot of influence. There's a lot of young pastors that want to be cutting edge, that want to be seeker sensitive, that want to emulate his approach to ministry. And so what he said was very, very confusing. What does it mean to take the spotlight off the Bible and focus or or leverage the authority we have in the resurrection. What does that mean? Let's just establish from the very beginning that, yes, the resurrection is vitally important to our faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ hadn't risen from the dead, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. We're to be the most pitied. That The resurrection is foundational for what we believe in, in Christianity and the risen Christ. There's no doubt about that. But the question then becomes, what is our authority for understanding the resurrection? You know, you've got extra biblical sources like Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, non-Christian, who attested to the historical reality of the resurrection. And that's good to use extra biblical resources, but our authority as Christians comes from the apostolic eyewitnesses who wrote it down in the inspired scriptures. The scripture itself is our only authority. 
And so when you take the spotlight off the scriptures, what you're in fact saying is, is that the scriptures are not our authority. The scriptures are not that important. And no matter what type of lip service you give to the scriptures in your day-to-day practice in the life of your ministry, it really doesn't matter what you say. And obviously Andy Stanley says, I I give lip service to inspiration, but as far as reaching people, this is what we need to do. We need to change the translations. We need to take the spotlight off the Bible. We need to do this and that. And he's, he is motivated by pragmatism. Now, I think he's got a good motivation to want to reach lost people. Yes, that's a noble and admirable aspiration. All of us want to reach lost people, but we don't go about doing that through pragmatic, man-centered type of techniques. And that's really, I think, what he is motivated by. And so there may be people that give lip service to the inspiration, the authority, the inerrancy of Scripture, but in their day-to-day practice, how they operate in the life of their church, how they preach, how they minister, if the Bible is not front and center and the foundation of everything that we believe, then, then it really doesn't matter what you say about the Bible. The proof is in the pudding. Do we really believe that the Bible is our source of authority? You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, theonoustos, breathed out. It's the very words of God. And so when the apostles and the writers of scripture wrote down the graphe, all writing, all scripture, when they wrote that down, the Holy Spirit so moved in their minds and their hearts for them to write down exactly what God wanted recorded, written down, down to the grammatical structure and verb tense and, and prepositions and, and syntax and word choice. It's the very word of God. And so when you have a ministry that takes its focus off the Bible and puts it on something else, and what he said is kind of slippery because who's going to disagree with the fact that we need to get people back to Jesus? We need to get people back to the resurrection. There's no, there's no denying that we need to preach Christ and Him crucified. But the question becomes, what's our authority? What's our basis for understanding who Christ is? The authority for understanding the resurrection. It's the Scriptures. And when you look at the apostolic model in the, in the, in the Bible, you look at their method. Let's just trace for a moment here uh, the, the, the models that we see, not only in the apostolic model, but just in the Bible itself. Go back to Moses. When Moses delivered the word of God from Mount Sinai, he came down the mountain and delivered the very word of God. And in fact, in matter of fact, it was written down. It was inscripturated. In Deuteronomy, he preaches three expository sermons that are commentaries on the law in Exodus. And so God's word is front and center is the spotlight on Moses' ministry. So Moses has a spotlight on the Bible ministry. Think about Jesus. Jesus himself held the highest view of the Scripture's authority. And he preached in a way that his hearers might submit to God's word. We don't have time to go into this in detail, but let me just give you a few examples of how Jesus viewed the scriptures, how Jesus himself put the spotlight on the scriptures. 
In Matthew 5, 17 through 19, Jesus adhered to the authority of the Scriptures by claiming that anyone who lessens the Old Testament law will be called least in heaven. In Matthew 12, 38 through 42, Jesus referred to the Jonah account as a literal and historical event. In Matthew 19, 4 through 5, Jesus defined marriage by quoting from the authority of Genesis 2:24. He quotes the Old Testament as his authority. In John 10, 35 through 36, Jesus said that the scripture cannot be broken and then quoted from Psalm 82 as authoritative scripture. We see this in Moses. We see this in Jesus. What about the apostles? Those early apostolic sermons in the book of Acts, when, when Peter stands up, he preaches the resurrection at the, at, the, at the sermon in Pentecost, but he uses the scriptures as the foundation to prove that Christ was indeed the Messiah. So he does preach the resurrection, but he uses the scriptures as the foundation. Stephen, when he's before the Sanhedrin, he's about to be stoned. He preaches an expository sermon or a speech, if you will. And he focuses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but his basis is the Old Testament Scriptures as the foundation for who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished in the resurrection. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, if you remember the Ethiopian eunuch's in his chariot, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading Scripture. He's, he's hearing about this lamb that's led to the slaughter, and he's confused. He doesn't know who th- this is. And Philip goes up there and begins to open the Scriptures and explain to him who Christ is. So Philip preaches an expository sermon about Christ and his identity and his resurrection from the Scriptures. Paul, when he goes into... Pisidia Antioch in Acts chapter 13 goes into the synagogue and preaches the resurrection of Christ. But what does he use as the basis? He uses the scriptures. He goes into Thessalonica and on three Sabbath days, reasons from the scriptures to prove that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. So if you look just at the book of Acts, yes, the resurrection is front and center. The resurrection is the power of God. We, we do preach Christ and Him crucified and risen, but the authority, the basis, the foundation for how we understand that comes from the scriptures in the pastoral epistles. Paul commands Timothy and Titus to preach the authoritative word of God. In 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be in season and out of season. So just in biblical history, when you look at the Old Testament, Moses, the prophets, Jesus, the apostles, the injunctions we have in the pastoral epistles, these men of God bowed to the authority of God's word and preached in such a way to lead their hearers to submit under that same authority. And so as a result, this same model becomes one of the primary tasks contemporary preachers need to employ in exercising sound pastoral leadership. But here's the issue. Here's the problem that we find ourselves in today. I think Andy Stanley understands this. I think he knows the culture that we're living in. We live in a culture that hates any outside authority dictating to us how to live and what to believe. 
And so we live in an anti-authority age. We don't want any outside authority. Don't, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to believe. And so instead of living under the authority of an outside source, and as Christians, our authority is the Scripture alone, it can become very easy for pastors and ministry leaders to adopt pragmatic techniques in order to, quote-unquote, reach the culture but then you begin to capitulate. You begin to give in. You take the spotlight off the Bible. You, you begin to do all these types of things to gain market share, to gain a crowd, instead of being faithful to the Scriptures. So I'm going to make an argument. A lack of authoritative expository preaching is going to inevitably lead to a congregation's lack of obedience. It's going to lead to biblical illiteracy. It's going to lead to confusion. And at worst, it's going to lead to an abandonment of the authority of the Bible, a rejection of the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. I don't know how big Andy Stanley's church is. Some people say it's around 30,000. I'm not making a judgment on his church I don't have any way of knowing the spiritual condition of every single person in his church. I'm not going to castigate megachurches and say all megachurches are evil. I'm not going to pretend to know the spiritual temperature of his church. I know nothing about that. I can't make a judgment. I can't stand as an outsider and make a judgment. I don't know how his small groups work, how his Sunday school. I don't know any of that stuff. But what I can say is this. Whoever is the main preacher from the pulpit becomes the mouthpiece for the direction of the entire church. And there is a great trickle-down effect. So whatever comes from the top, whoever's the most vocal, whoever's in that pulpit is the de facto leader of the church. And that message ends up trickling down throughout the entire fabric of the church. And so if from the top, from the main guy... You have the words, let's take the spotlight off the Bible. Whether you meant to say that, whether you needed to nuance that, and I heard that he did another sermon where he kind of doubled down on that, you are sending a message to 30,000 people that we should not really live under the authority of the Word. And my argument is, if you're a pastor listening to this, if you're a young preacher, if you're a seminary student, if you're a church member, if you're, if you're just a, don't have any official leadership position in a church, it really doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, we must submit ourselves under the authority of God's Word. We must put the spotlight back on the Bible. I mean, it's, it's fascinating for him to say that because when you look at the trajectory of liberal denominations, um, even in my own uh, town, you can think about just the liberal denominations, the mainstream denominations that have that ha have moved away from the authority of the Bible. Uh, now they, you know, they're doing gay marriages. They don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Uh, they're, they're just basically it's a house of cards. It begins to all fall down when you reject the authority of the Scripture, because then you can believe anything you want to, because there's no um, absolute authority. And you've seen this with the mainline churches. And sadly, what I fear is going to happen is in a lot of these supposed evangelical churches, if this becomes the mantra, if this becomes the, the, the modus operandi, if this becomes the, the way of the future, 
you are going to have a, it could be slight, it could be quick. Who knows? Only, uh, you know, only time will tell. Move toward not just biblical illiteracy, which is bad enough, but liberalism, an outright denial of the authority of Scripture, regardless of what's on their doctrinal statement, regardless of how they give lip service to it. That's important. Having a confession of faith is important as long as you actually practice it in the day-to-day life of your ministry and in the life of your church. So, let's talk about living under the authority of the Scriptures. It's my role as pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church to lead my congregation to live, for all of us to live under the authority of the Scriptures. Now, how do I go about doing that? I do that through expository preaching because I believe it's the best method of preaching to accomplish that, to expose people to the full counsel of God's Word so that we can all live under its authority. In other words, as a pastor, my job is to put the spotlight on the Bible. You know, Walt Kaiser has written an excellent book. For those of you theology geeks listening, uh, Walt Kaiser, Walter Kaiser has written Toward an Exegetical Theology. Toward an Exegetical Theology. It's an excellent book. It talks about just uh, sermon preparation, of theology of preaching, how you go about studying and interpreting the Bible. It's a classic. It was written in 1981. Um, it's, it's a seminary standard. If you're in seminary, you probably had to read it in one of your preaching classes or, or hermeneutics classes. I, I highly recommend it, Walt Kaiser's Toward an Exegetical Theology. But let me give you a quote from him because I think he asks a very profound question in relation to this whole subject. He, he asks this question, quote, Where has the prophetic note in preaching gone? Where's the sense of authority and mission previously associated with the biblical word? One of the most depressing spectacles in the church today is her lack of power. At the heart of this problem is an impotent pulpit. Where's the power in the church? Where's the authority? His answer to that is, well, it's coming from the pulpit. If it's an impotent pulpit, if it's a weak pulpit, if if there's not strong preaching, the church is going to lack power. And I would submit to you, we see a lot of churches that may be doing a lot of great things. They may be having a name for themselves in the community. They may be doing great programs. They may be putting on conferences. All of these types of bells and whistles to somehow promote their agenda. But at the end of the day, is there the power of of God present in those ministries. And my argument is it comes from the top. Whoever is the main preaching pastor, the main preacher, his view of Scripture, his practice of exposing people to the authoritative Word of God, his method and model of preaching has a lot to do with how a church is going to fulfill its mission. And really, an impotent pulpit reflects impotent leadership, which eventually results in an impotent church. Listen to John MacArthur. Um, He has lamented this, and and you know John MacArthur if you've you've been around long enough, um, uh, somebody that we all respect, um, a man of God who's who's been a long, faithful ministry. Uh, Listen to what he has said. Um, Quote, evangelical preaching ought to reflect our conviction that God's Word is infallible and inerrant. Too often it does not. 
In fact, there is a discernible trend in contemporary evangelicalism away from biblical preaching and adrift toward an experience-centered, pragmatic, topical approach in the pulpit. And I would wholeheartedly agree with him. There's a drift away from biblical preaching. What do we see a lot in pulpits today? Just turn on Christian television, listen to podcasts, uh, just, just um, even maybe your own church, sadly. Is it pragmatic? Is it topical? Is it experience-driven? Is it trite stories from the preacher? Is it trying to engage culture with skits and drama that are devoid of any biblical truth? What's the main diet that people are getting? What are they having in the pulpit? Unbiblical theology and practices will creep into the fabric of the church's ethos when congregations do not live under the authority of God's Word. If there is no authoritative preaching, if you take the spotlight off the Bible, what ends up happening is that you begin to have unbiblical core values become embedded in the life of the congregation. And once that happens, it leads to toxicity and division and confusion and biblical illiteracy, which is basically sin. Think about all of the biblical illiteracy that you see in churches today, that you see in culture that, you know, we, we, we see these man on the street interviews where people go out and interview people that are lost about what they believe about God. And you've probably seen these video clips on YouTube or um, just, just like sermon illustrations. And, and we would expect lost people on the streets not to give good biblical answers because they're lost. They don't know the truth. What saddens me is how much biblical illiteracy there is in our churches. You know, thankfully, one of, the, one of the joys I have in my church is that when I stand up to preach and say, let's all open our Bibles to John chapter 5 or whatever I'm preaching, up, you can hear the rustling of people bringing their physical Bibles. You can see people using their, their devices, their tablets, but there is an ethos, a culture in our church where when we stand to preach the Word of God, where we, when I stand to preach... We are hearing God's voice in the text and there is a reverence and that everybody is there with their Bible open, ready to hear God's voice. And for a lot of churches, they have eliminated scripture reading in the church service. The scriptures are up on the screen so that people don't have to actually open their Bible Now, we put supporting scriptures up on the screen just for the flow, but my main text is not up on the screen. I read from it from my physical Bible. I ask people to look there at the text so that we can all see it together. And then my supporting cross-reference scriptures are up on the screen. And that's just for, for, for flow's sake, because if I'm always turning there or having people turn there, I think sometimes you can lose people. So we do that for a little bit of convenience. Um, and, and, you know, you may even get some pushback from that. But in a lot of churches, you don't even need to bring your Bible. You're going to get spoon-fed some topical message where the spotlight's taken off the Bible. There's stories. There's um, all different types of, of, of talks and opinions. Um, but people aren't shown the importance of going directly to the text.
And so what ends up happening is that when you take the spotlight off the Bible and put it on to something, it's going to go to something else. Now, Andy Stanley's argument is we need to take the spotlight off the Bible and put it back on the resurrection. And again, what does that mean? How do you know anything about the resurrection than, than what the Scripture itself teaches? So by implication in that statement, when you take the spotlight off the Bible, you're putting the spotlight on something else. And anytime the Bible is not front and center, anytime the Bible is not authoritative, anytime the Bible is not the foundation, something else is. And anything else that's not God's Word is not a good foundation. It's sinking sand. Eric Alexander is one of my favorite Scottish uh, preachers. I like him and Alistair Begg. Um, Eric Alexander has a little bit more of a Scottish brogue. Uh, You can go on sermon audio and listen to him. But he's made a great assertion Uh, Listen to what he says, quote, With the eroding of confidence in the authority of Scripture in our own generation, it is not all surprising that there has been an evacuation of authority from the pulpit. The decline in preaching is almost inevitably a result of such an absence of the conviction concerning the authority of Scripture, unquote. When congregations devalue living under the authority of God's Word, they don't have a clear understanding of biblical truth. There's confusion. There's pop psychology. There's political speeches. There's funny stories. There's the pastor's opinion. Everything but God's authoritative voice. Dr. Moeller, Al Moeller, the president of the seminary that I graduated from with my doctoral degree, we, we respect Al Moeller, great man of God, probably the most brilliant man that, that's alive as far as what he can retain and read. And um, by the way, a side note, if you've ever gone to Southern um, and you've been to Al Moeller's home, the president's uh, mansion, uh, his library is something to behold. Um, he's got his own personal library downstairs, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, my wife, we went there. We got to go to an open house for the graduation and got to take a tour, and, and my wife was just fascinated with all of the books and, and the resources down there. But anyway, he's written a great book on preaching called He Is Not Silent, Preaching in a Postmodern World. I encourage you, again, if you're a, if you're a seminary student, you probably will, will have to read this, but even if you're not, Um, If you're just a pastor listening to this or a ministry leader, I recommend uh, Dr. Moeller's um, He Is Not Silent book. But listen to what um, Al Moeller says. Quote, In all true expository preaching, there's a note of authority. That is because the preacher dares to speak on behalf of God. He stands in the pulpit as a steward of the mysteries of God, declaring the truth of God's Word, proclaiming the power of that Word, and applying that word to life. There's a note of authority in expository preaching. Now, the goal of expository preaching, the goal of pastoral ministry, if you are a ministry leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a church planner, if you're a seminary student that's studying to become a pastor, if you're a leader in any type of Christian ministry, Yours and mine's job is to shepherd your people, your church, even if it's your small group, whoever it is that that God has entrusted to you, to shepherd them to live under the authority of the Word. 
And what this means is, is that we lead the charge in elevating and embracing the doctrine of the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Those aren't just trite things that we put on our doctrinal statement. What you fundamentally believe about the Bible will drive how you do ministry. I guarantee it. What you fundamentally believe about the Bible will drive how you do ministry. No matter what you say, no matter what's on your confession of faith, no matter what your church's doctrinal statement is on a website, what you fundamentally believe about the Scriptures will drive how you do ministry. And if you do not have the highest, most robust view of the authority, inerrancy, sufficiency, and inspiration of Scripture, you will not have a biblical or fully biblical model of ministry. The second Helvetic Confession is one of the confessions that came out of the Reformation. It has a great statement about the preached Word of God. Listen to what the second Helvetic Confession teaches. Quote, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Wherefore, when this Word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very Word of God is proclaimed. The preached Word of God is the Word of God. The Scripture is the Word of God. You know, back during the battle for the Bible, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, the, the whole impetus that brought about the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy, the battles even within my own denomination, Southern Baptist Convention, there were those who gave lip service to the inspiration of Scripture. They may even use words that the Scripture was trustworthy, but they didn't like the word inerrant. And let me give you the nuance. What they would say, the liberals at the time, they would call themselves moderates, but I would call them liberal in their view of Scripture. They would say this, We believe the Bible is true and trustworthy and inspired insofar as it goes. We know that the, 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 the Scriptures that talk about salvation, the Scriptures that talk about God's character, those are inspired, those contain the Word of God. But there may be errors, there may be discrepancies, there may be some problems with other areas of the Scriptures in relation to dates and archaeology and historical events. And so the Bible's trustworthy when it talks about doctrinal matters, but it's not trustworthy in its entirety. That was the argument. That was the battle for the Bible. And you had strong evangelicals during that time stand up and say, no, wait a minute. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration in the sense that the entirety of the Bible is inspired and therefore is true without any mixture of error and the Bible is free of all errors in the original manuscripts, we believe in inerrancy. Peter Adam, written a great book. It's a little dense. It's a little hard to get into, but I think every preacher needs to read it because it lays forth what I believe is one of the better theologies, biblical theologies, on preaching. Um, he's from Australia. Uh, Peter Adam has written a book called Speaking God's Words. Speaking God's Words. If you can get a hold of that book, I highly recommend it. But listen to what Peter Adam says. Quote, Because they are words that God has spoken. He's talking about the Scripture here. Because they are words that God has spoken, they have all the power of God the speaker behind them and within them. 
Our role is not to make God's words powerful through our speaking, but to help people recognize the power and significance of those words. God has spoken. The Bible is the very word of God. It doesn't just contain God's word. It is God's word. So anytime a preacher stands to preach or a Sunday school teacher teaches or a small group leader leads, anytime you open the scriptures, we hear the very voice of God. And is that not what we want to hear? There are so many voices vying for our attention every day. You get voices come in through podcasts. You get voices come in through television. You get newscasts. You get talk radio. You get the regular radio. You get FM, AM radio. You get you know, serious radio, podcast, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all types of social media, people at work, people in the community. You hear voices every day. Some good, some bad, some indifferent, some crazy. But when we come to the scriptures and when we gather as God's people, in whatever context that is, whether it's a Sunday morning worship service or a small group setting or or whatever, the one thing we want to make sure that we do is to hear the voice of God. And how do we hear God's voice? In the scriptures. It is His Word, the God-breathed Word. The Word that Hebrews 4.12 says cuts us like a two-edged sword. The Word that Isaiah 55 says will not return empty, will not return void, but will accomplish that which God purposes and succeed in what God has sent it out to succeed. And so one of our goals as pastors as leaders, and it should be Andy Stanley's goal, not to take the spotlight off the Bible, but to preach clearly the authoritative text so that we can hear the voice of God in the Bible. Greg Allison, he's a professor at Southern Seminary. Um, He's written a book, Sojourners and Strangers, The Doctrine of the Church, He's written a very profound statement. I like the way he's worded this. Listen to what he says. Quote, the church must proclaim clearly, urgently, persuasively the word of God without confusion, without change, without compromise as its first order of business. I like that. Without confusion, without change, without compromise. That should be your goal as a pastor. I'm going to preach this. I'm going to teach this without confusion. I'm not going to confuse my people. Without change, I'm not going to change this around to fit the culture without compromise. I'm not going to back down when it's, un- when it's uncomfortable, uh, when it's unpopular. Uh, this is the first order of business of me as a pastor and as the church to proclaim the word clearly without confusion, without change, without compromise. And so the pastor, the leader, whatever capacity you're in, you set the pace for the church's commitment to the authority of Scripture. Listen to Dr. Muller again. Al Muller asserts, quote, Without a total commitment to the trustworthiness and truthfulness of the Bible, the church is left without its definite authority, lacking confidence in its ability to hear God's voice. 
Preachers will lack confidence in the authority and truthfulness of the very word they're commissioned to preach and teach. This is not an issue of homiletical theory, but a life and death question of whether the preacher has a distinctive and authoritative word to preach to people desperately in need of direction and guidance. I like what Dr. Moeller says. Your whole view of Scripture is not a homiletical theory. It's not like how you communicate. It's not rhetorical skills. It's, we're not debating here whether um, you know, this is a good thing that you should do when you deliver sermons. No, he's saying, listen, your view of Scripture, your view of the Bible is a matter of life and death. Because when you stand up to preach, you are preaching the very words of God. And when the very words of God are preached, people are accountable to hear those words, to receive those words, to obey those words. Jim Shaddix was the professor of preaching at New Orleans Seminary. He's now a a professor of preaching at Southeastern Seminary. Uh, When he was pastor in Denver at Riverside Baptist Church, he and I got to be pretty good friends. And we had a lot of discussions about preaching and uh, there was one time we were at an event and we had a long time to talk and he was lamenting um, the lack of authoritative preaching um, in churches that he's, that he's visited and seen. And he told me a story about how he went to a church planning conference and it was like a two or three day uh, church planning, like a boot camp, uh, getting church planners there together to, to teach them how to start a church. And um, he said for, for three days he heard things about how to get your, um, your core group together, how to do marketing, you know, how to raise volunteers, um, how to do fundraising, how to find a, um, a place to meet, all these you know, practical issues, how to craft your mission statement, all these types of things. And then he said at the end, he got down to question and answer after three days, and, and he raised his hand and basically sheepishly um, asked the question, what is the role of preaching in church planting? And he said those that put on the conference were kind of dumbfounded and didn't have an answer. They said, you know, we haven't thought that through. And Jim's word to me was, when you look at the apostolic model, the way God planted a church in Acts in the early church was through powerful preaching. And so he and Jerry Vines have written a book called Power in the Pulpit. And let me give you a quote from that book. This is what they say, quote, A strong conviction about the inspiration of Scripture naturally will inform the way you preach. A high view of biblical inspiration and inerrancy demands that the primary approach to preaching be the exposition of Bible books. If you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, if you believe it is God's voice, if you believe that you should put the spotlight on the Bible, what their argument is, and I believe I would agree with them, is that the logical and most natural outflow is that you preach expositionally. You preach through books of the Bible to expose people to the whole counsel of God's Word. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He argues this, quote, Expository preaching is the declarative genre in which inerrancy finds its logical expression, and the church has its life and power. Stated simply, inerrancy demands exposition as the only method of preaching that preserves the purity of Scripture. It's a good quote. Now here's what happens. We as pastors need to adhere to the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture We need to practice expository preaching that consistently exposes people to God's authoritative voice in the text. And what often happens is, if we don't expose people to the authority in the text, 
then we're exposing them to another authority. And usually that authority is us. Our stories, our opinions, our illustrations, our pragmatism, our techniques. Um, Sidney Gradonis has written a, a really good book that I, I would recommend you reading. I'm giving you a lot of books here, but his book, it's a classic, The Modern Preacher in the Ancient Text. Um, really an argument for expository preaching. How do we look at the genres of especially Old Testament? How do, how do we preach a lot of the, you know, so archaic and old, and, and it's really hard to, to connect modern audiences to, to the ancient text. And so he's written a great book, The Modern Preacher in the Ancient Text by Sidney Gridonis. Let me give you um, a quote from him that he says this, quote, If preachers wish to preach with divine authority, they must submit themselves, their thoughts and opinions, to the Scriptures and echo the Word of God. Thus, preaching with authority is synonymous with true expository preaching. He says they're synonymous. When you do expository preaching, you're preaching with authority because what you're doing is you're exposing people to the text to God's voice. And when God's voice is exposed to the scriptures, it has inherent potency, inherent authority. And so what we need to do in preaching is to make sure, to ensure that people actually hear God's voice, not my voice. I don't want people to hear my voice. I'm not talking about my literal voice. I don't want people to hear. Let me give you an example. When I'm finished preaching, I do not want people in my congregation to walk out over lunch or in the lobby or in their car say, wow, I really liked Pastor Sean's stories. I'm really impressed with Pastor Sean's rhetorical prowess. I really liked the way that he crafted that sermon. Pastor Sean did a great job today. I really liked what he said. That's not what I want people saying. What I want people saying when they leave a worship service at Emmanuel Baptist Church is, wow, our God is great. His word is powerful. We were exposed to the word today. We were showered with the word. We need to respond to the word. I know more clearly what God's word says as a result of being in church today. We hear God's voice. J.I. Packer has made a great statement. Now, J.I. Packer probably one of the greatest theologians um, of contemporary times, his knowing God, um, evangelism and the sovereignty of God, a lot of different books he's written, very prolific. Um, he's written a lot on preaching, which I don't know if a lot of people know that. And, and some of the things he's written on preaching have been very profound. Let me just give you a quote that I found very um, helpful from J.I. Packer. Quote, The preacher's aim will be to stand under Scripture, not over it, and to allow it so to speak, to talk through him, delivering what is not so much his message as its own. Scripture itself must do all the talking, and the preacher's task is simply to set the Bible in motion. To set the Bible in motion. I like what he says there. We don't stand over the Bible, we stand under it. And we don't try to somehow make the text say what we want it to say. Our job is simply to speak the words of God in the text that's there and let the inherent authority and power and potency of that text take over. Set the Bible in motion. And so one of our goals is to stress the authority of 
the Scriptures in our preaching. Tony Marita, a young pastor, um, when I was president of the Colorado Convention a few years ago, the Colorado Baptist Convention, I invited him to come out to our pastor's conference and preach. Uh, he was mentored by Jim Shaddix along with the David Platt uh, when they were at New Orleans. Uh, Tony Marita is now the main preaching professor at Southeastern Seminary. And he has written a good little book. I recommend you. I'm giving you a lot of books today. But he's written a good book called Faithful Preaching, Declaring Scripture with Responsibility, Passion, and Authenticity. Faithful Preaching by Tony Marita. Let me give you a quote from him that I found was, was a, good, a good quote that kind of sums up what I'm, what I'm saying here. Quote, Preachers that try to be cutting edge or fill their sermons with endless stories lose authority. The authority of the sermon is not the suggestion, stories, or observations of the preacher. Authority comes from God's Word, end quote. How many times do you see pastors trying to be cutting edge, trying to be funny, trying to be cute, uh, trying to be quote-unquote relevant, using gimmicks? And most of the time it comes off as cheesy, what I think, or just kind of weird or schmaltzy. And what they're basically communicating is that the inherent Word of God is not powerful enough to change lives. So I've got to do something to spruce it up. I've got to inject my opinions. As opposed to just standing there, putting the spotlight back on the Bible, expositing the text, preaching it faithfully, that's where the authority comes from. I know I'm giving you a lot of quotes, but let me give you a quote from David Bast. Uh, he wrote an article, uh, Why Preach? in the Reformed Review. He said this, quote, What we who preach need most of all is a commitment to the biblical text. Let us study it until we can understand and preach what it says instead of shrinking from it because it doesn't say what we want it to say or says more than we want it to say. Let us preach the text, not the idea that brought us to the text. D.A. Carson has also given some great encouragement on expository preaching. Dr. Carson says this, quote, Preaching gives confidence to the preacher and authorizes the sermon. If you are faithful to the text, you are certain your message is God's message. Regardless of what's going on in the church, whether it's growing or whether people like you, you know you are proclaiming God's truth. This is wonderfully freeing. It's freeing to be able just to preach the text. You don't have to make things up. You don't have to use gimmicks. You don't have to tickle itching ears. You just preach the text and let God's voice be heard and let the Holy Spirit take the inspired text and change hearts. John Piper, his book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching, another good uh, little book on preaching, asserts this, quote, Our authority as preachers sent by God rises and falls with our manifest allegiance to the text of Scripture. I say manifest because there are so many preachers who say they're doing exposition when they do not ground their assertions explicitly, manifestly in the text. The text of Scripture. When Andy Stanley says, let's take the spotlight off the Bible, the spotlight eventually is going to go to something else. It's not going to be the text. And you're going to lose the authority. As a preacher leading people to live under the authority of Scripture. Tim Keller has written a fairly new book on preaching. Um, it's called Preaching, Communicating Faith in an Age of Skepticism. Um, he's got a great caution that I think all of us pastors need to hear. Let me give you Tim Keller. Quote, Unless your understanding of the Bible 
and your confidence in its inspiration and authority are deep and comprehensive, you will not be able to do the hard work necessary to understand and present it convincingly. Your lack of conviction will show up in your public teaching, blunting its impact. Instead of proclaiming, warning, inviting, you will be sharing, musing, and conjecturing. End quote. One of my pet peeves, and it's a personal thing, I'm not going to be adamant or legalistic about it, but it really kind of just rubs me the wrong way, is when a pastor stands up and the first thing he says is, I just want to share today what God's laid on my heart. I just want to share. And I don't think there's necessarily anything inherently wrong with that. But when a pastor stands up behind the sacred desk and opens God's Word, he's not there to share. He's there to proclaim with confidence and authority because he's preaching the very voice of God in the text. And what Tim Keller's saying is if you don't have a, a robust confidence in the authority of Scripture, if you don't put the spotlight on the Scripture, he says you're just going to be sharing, musing, and conjecturing. It's just going to be you're going to stand up and give your opinions, you're going to give stories, you're not going to really know what to say, and you're going to lack that, that confidence in the authority. I know I've given you guys a lot of quotes, but let me just give one more from Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology. Um, Wayne Grudem claims this, quote, Throughout the history of the church, the greatest preachers have been those who have recognized that they have no authority in themselves and have seen their task as being to explain the words of Scripture and apply them clearly to the lives of their hearers. Their preaching has drawn its power not from the proclamation of their own Christian experiences or the experiences of others, nor from their own opinions, creative ideas, or rhetorical skills, but from God's powerful words. Only the written words of Scripture can give this kind of authority to preaching. So, we must consistently expose people to the text so that they hear God's voice and, though, uh, and, and thus submit under the authority of God's Word. What Andy Stanley said was confusing at best. At worst, what he said is laying the foundation for an erosion or even denial of the authority, inerrancy, and inspiration of Scripture. I do not know what the future of his ministry looks like. Nobody can do that. Only God knows that. My prayer for Andy Stanley is that he repents, that he retracts, that he goes back to his Southern Baptist roots. As, you know, Charles Stanley is his father, who was the president of the convention back in the 80s. That he would leverage his leadership among evangelicals and say, you know what, I made a mistake. We do need to get the spotlight back on the Bible. We need to go back and have that as our authority. It would give him great credibility and he would have so much of a greater impact. I hope and pray that's the direction he goes. Only God knows that. I don't know. Um, and so I don't want to stand in um, judgment of Andy Stanley. I do not know the man. All I'm doing is interacting with his public statements. And anytime a high-profile pastor and Christian leader makes statements to that magnitude, I believe it demands a response. James White has responded effectively. J.D. Hall has responded. Chris Rosebro has, has responded. Others have. Uh, 
This is just my two cents worth in to respond as well. But I just encourage you, if you're a young pastor listening to this, or an old pastor, or a church planner, or a seminary student, or, or, or a church member in Christian leadership, anybody listening, that you would hold fast to the authority of the Scriptures and not buy into this whole, let's just take the spotlight off of the Scriptures. Let me give you our doctrinal statements statement on the Scriptures. It's the very first thing in our doctrinal statement. Let me read to you what we in Emmanuel Baptist Church believe about the Scriptures. The Holy Bible, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is the infallible Word of God, is God-breathed in its entirety, is without error in the original manuscripts, and is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. Scripture in its entirety is inerrant, being free from any falsehood, fraud, or deceit. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, it must be searched by other places in the Scripture that speak more clearly. The meaning of biblical text is a fixed historical reality rooted in the historical unchangeable intentions of its divine and human authors. A confession of the full authority, infallibility, and inerrancy of Scripture is vital to a sound understanding of the whole of the Christian faith. That's a comprehensive statement on the nature and authority of Scripture. We put it front and center in our doctrinal statement because we do not want there to be any ambiguity, any confusion, about where we as elders in a congregation stand in relation to the authority, inerrancy, and inspiration of the God-breathed scriptures. So I pray this has been a helpful podcast. If you have any questions, you can go to my website, seancole.net. You can find my contact information there. You can shoot me an email. Uh, You can... Give me a Facebook instant message. My Twitter um, account's on there as well. I'd love for you to hear from you. Um, you can go to iTunes and give us a review and rating if that would be helpful. Uh, we'd love to interact with you. Uh, we do thank you for listening. I really do. I mean, it's glad to be back. I've been doing a lot of traveling. Uh, I just felt like I needed to get my two cents worth into this podcast. Uh, uh, listening, driving across country, you got to hear a lot of podcasts. And I got to think about, hey, what, do I, what podcast do I want to do when I get back? Um, and so I kind of piggybacked on some other um, guys who are, who are doing this same thing with this whole Annie Stanley business. And so just pray for his church. Uh, pray for him as a leader. It's easy to cast stones and not pray for him. He's in a high position. Um, he's easily attacked. Um, he's got a lot of following. And so um, with that high responsibility comes um, a lot of, a lot of um, arrows pointing at him from the enemy. And so we just want to pray for his, his, his faithfulness. Um, and pray for my faithfulness and pray, pray for every pastor's faithfulness that we would all be faithful to the scriptures. So until next time, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.